Good morning. How are y'all? Good. For those who uh, I haven't met or have only met briefly, my name is Abby. Um, I'm the pastor here at Haynes Creek. It's like it's like Bobby without the B. That that I found that's the most effective way of explaining it. Um, again, my name is Abby, and it's okay if you get my name wrong. In fact, most people that I meet, more often than not, get my name wrong. Um, If you get it wrong twice, that's fine. If you get it wrong ten times, that's fine. I actually have a rule. If if I don't know you, and I'm probably never going to see you again, probably won't correct you. Um, Or if you're... You know, if you're, if you're along in years and I can tell you're just going to call me whatever you want, then I'm just going to let you call me whatever you want. No sense in fighting over it. Um, but if you insist on calling me by another name, even though you know my name, you're probably going to have a problem. Now, if it's not a nickname, that's fine. Now, people give me nicknames. I mean, it's, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi. I've always been called that. That's been my nickname since I was little. Um, Obula, that's what I was called once by the kid that bullied me in high school. That's fine. Um, just various names. Um, but if you call me Carl, and that's just what you want to call me, I, I won't appreciate that. I would want you and prefer you to call me Obby. You're like, no, I like Carl. That's weird. Just call me by my name. If we... See, names matter. The name you were given is the name by which you expect to be addressed. Everyone would agree with that, I think. Why do so many people in this world not apply that to the living God? Well, yeah, I know y'all call him by that name, but we call him um, Muhammad. We call him Allah. It's just the same God. He just goes by different names. No, no, he goes by one name. No, well, you know, I mean, y'all, y'all, he revealed that to y'all, but over here we call him Buddha. We're going to call him Buddha. I don't think God appreciates that. Well, Abi, you're not God. Good point. But God has done a lot of talking. God wrote a book, and God said that he wants to be known by the name Jesus, Yahweh, and that there is one name above all names, and that is the name, Jesus Christ, and that is the name by which we worship the living God. Please don't call God by any other name. Worship Jesus Christ. And so to ensure that we call him by the right name, he sends his son. And then he sends another person. Jesus calls him the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit in the passage that we're getting ready to read, Jesus calls him the spirit of truth. And I think the reason he calls him that is because the spirit's job is to come and let everybody know what the truth is. And how to address God. 
So if you'd be so kind as to turn to John chapter 16, verses 5 through 15. John chapter 16, verses 5 through 15. If you're new here, here at Haynes Creek, we preach through the entire book of John. And then after we're done with that, we'll pick another one. Probably won't be Acts. We'll probably skip around. But once we start a book, because it's divinely inspired, we believe here at Haynes Creek that God wrote a book and He desires us to read it as He wrote it. So if you found that place, John chapter 16, verses 5 through 15, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And the Holy Spirit says, But now I am going to Him who sent me, and none of you asks me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for I do not go away. The helper will not, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, and therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's pray. Father, your spirit, Paul says, searches the depths of God. This morning I ask that that same spirit open our eyes and our hearts so that we can plumb the depths of God and show us, please, Father, show us this morning the heinousness of sin the impending judgment of the world, and the beauty of the righteousness of Jesus. And all these things we ask in your precious Son's name. Amen. You can be seated. I don't know why I say that. It's like you're going to sit anyway. But I want to deliver one message this morning. One message. If you, if you go home learning nothing, this is what I want you to remember. The Holy Spirit is sent by Jesus Christ to convict us of our sin, to remind us of judgment, and to point us to the righteousness of Christ by leading us to His Word. I'm going to say that one more time. The Holy Spirit is sent by Jesus Christ to convict us of our sin, to remind us of judgment, and most importantly, to point us to the righteousness of Christ by leading us to His Word. Today it seems like most Christians associate the Holy Spirit with a feeling. If I were to walk up to a random Christian and ask them if they could sense the Spirit's work in their life, more likely than not, they would probably tell me about a feeling or an experience they had. If I were to walk into a worship service, and I would have asked the folks, just pick somebody, if they could sense the Spirit moving in that place, if they could sense His presence, they would probably tell me whether they felt Him or not. 
If I were to ask some of you this morning, do you sense the Spirit in this place? You would probably, some of you, tell me if you could discern a feeling. While the Holy Spirit can certainly evoke our feelings, and He often does, in fact, I hope He does in your life, the Holy Spirit is not a feeling. Verse 8 is very clear that what the Spirit has come to do, and none of them involve giving us a feeling. Here's what verse 8 says. When He comes, the Spirit, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So the better question this morning, if the Spirit is working in your life, is not do you have a feeling. The better question is whether you have conviction. The Spirit has come to convict us of three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. That means every single Christian has to know what those three things are. Well, it's so important that Jesus explains them. Verses 9 through 11. Concerning sin, because they do not believe me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So that means the very first thing that the Holy Spirit wants you to know, Haynes Greek, is that you're sinful. That's the first thing the Holy Spirit wants you to know. And He wants you to know it well. Before you feel the power of the Holy Spirit, before you sense His presence, before you have a huge experience of the Holy Ghost, you, will, you must first feel the weight of your own sin. And that's what the Spirit wants. Jesus says that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Sin is more than disobedience. I just, I thought of five things. Sin is unbelief. Sin is falling short of the glory of God. Sin is hard-hearted rebellion against the authority of God. Sin is deceitfulness. And sin is idolatry. That's just five I could think of. And the Holy Spirit wants us to know that none of us are exempt from that. If you're a sinner, you have committed all five of those, all six. That's why the Spirit can be working in our lives sometimes. The Spirit can be working in you and you don't feel Him. I remember one time I was in a really particularly dark season of my life. I didn't feel close to God. I didn't sense the presence of the Lord. I didn't feel close to God. I sure felt the weight of my guilt, though, because I felt like I was a horrible person. And because I sensed my sin more than God's presence, per se, I asked for His grace, I dwelt on His promises, I sought after Him, I went seeking for Him in the Scriptures, I called out to Jesus, and wouldn't you know it, before I knew it, the Spirit was working. Our flesh wants the warm, gooey feelings of God, but we don't want our sin, and we don't want to be told about our sin. Can you see how harmful it is to preach to people that the Spirit is a feeling? Churches actually orchestrate their entire worship experience to give you good feelings while avoiding talking about the Spirit, or sorry, about sin. But the Spirit says, Jesus says, the Spirit comes to convict us of sin first. That's the very first thing the Spirit wants. 
Number two, the Spirit also comes to convict us of righteousness. Well, what does that mean? Well, the first thing is if you know you're a sinner, you know you don't have any righteousness. Here's how I define righteousness. The state of being morally right and justified in the eyes of God. If you are a sinner, you don't have that on your own. No sinner has that. And the Holy Spirit wants us to know two things. We have no righteousness of our own, and we need to get it from somewhere if we're going to be right before God. Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 9 says this. This is actually one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Indeed, I count everything as lost, this is Paul, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Listen, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So we don't have any righteousness of our own. We need it from somewhere. The gospel is that we get to borrow Jesus's. He gives us his righteousness, and all we have to do is believe in the message of the cross. This is actually the essential message behind the Protestant Reformation. I would dare say this is the primary difference between Protestants and Catholics. Protestants or Catholics believe that righteousness is something that you work for inherently. Protestants believe that righteousness is given to you from outside by faith. Martin Luther had a name for this. Alien righteousness is what he called it. It doesn't come from us. It comes from the heavens. The righteousness that Christ imputes or accounts or reckons to his people so that they can be justified before God. So when I show up at judgment day... And God says, why in the world am I going to let you into heaven? Why am I in the world? What have you done for me to honor me, to glorify me? You're not morally justified. And unless you're clothed with the righteousness of Christ, you don't get into the party. Alien righteousness is the essence of the gospel. So if the Holy Spirit were to give us a feeling of any kind, it would be the overwhelming joy at that. If you have a feeling from the Spirit and it doesn't have anything to do with that, it's probably not the Spirit. Has anybody ever watched the Jetsons? This is going to be, I want to see this. Please raise your hand if you have. Okay, one of the people. Kelly, Kelly had not. It discouraged me. Um, how many people? No, I'm going to ask that. Um, it's old enough that they had like the old school laughter when they made a joke. You know, um, if you haven't seen the Jetsons, it's an old comedy from what, eighties? It was old. It was on. I think it's still on Cartoon Network. I think it better be. And anyway, the the show is about a family that lives in the future. I don't know if they live in space or they just live in the clouds, but they drive around in little flying cars. Um, they take little spaceships to school and to work. And they have robots do everything for them. Everything. Does anybody remember how George Jetson gets up in the morning? Does anybody remember that? Okay, I don't know why I remember this. When George Jetson gets up in the morning, he gets out of bed, 
in a robot arm, puts his clothes on, puts his shoes on, combs his hair, brushes his teeth, sits him down in a chair and like buffs his shoes. Every day. That was the Jetsons. And that's kind of how I like to think the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us. That's what a Holy Spirit does to a Christian. He pulls you out of the grave. He opens up your eyes to your sin. He convicts you to your sin. He points you to the Word. He shows you the Gospel. He gives you the faith to believe in the Gospel. And then He indwells you and sanctifies you for the rest of your life. And you almost practically do nothing. And we want to talk about works. There is nothing we really do other than really do what George Jetson did in the morning. Put his hands up so he can have uh, his shirt put on. And all we do is cry out to Jesus and say, help me, save me. And the Spirit does the rest. He convicts. He opens our eyes. He opens our hearts. He shows us the way. He raises us from the dead. He becomes our helper. And he sanctifies us. That is the Holy Spirit, ladies and gentlemen. And here's what's really remarkable about it. The Spirit doesn't want any credit for it. Verses 13 and 14. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. Don't miss this, verse 14. He will glorify Me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit doesn't want to be seen. He's shy. He wants the Son to get the credit. He's doing everything behind the scenes so that we worship Jesus and not Him. So our worship services, when you go into a church and they're trying to concoct a feeling artificially, and they're telling you more about the Spirit than the Son, the Spirit's like, no, 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 no. Not, not me, Him. We worship Jesus, and that's how you'll discern whether the Spirit is working in your life if you're doing what the Spirit wants, which is to worship the Son. The Spirit-filled life is the sin-conscious, Christ-centered life. I came up with that. I thought it was good. Spirit-filled life is the sin-conscious, Christ-centered life. Now, number three, the Spirit has come to convict us concerning judgment. Now, I want to be clear here. I don't think Jesus is talking about the ultimate judgment at the end of time, at the resurrection. Because verse 11, he says, it talks about the ruler of this world, the devil is judged. So in this context, I think he's talking about the judgment of sin in general. All sin, all evil. God has already judged our sin. John chapter 3, verse 18. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. God has pronounced judgment upon a fallen world. If you're a sinner, apart from grace, you are condemned under the law of God and you're waiting for execution. And the Spirit has come so that we would be convicted of that impending judgment and we would flee to Jesus to be saved. That's why the Spirit came. I heard a guy not too long ago. He uh, visited a church of a friend of mine. And uh, I wanted to know how he liked it. So I, I, I said, how'd you like it? He said, eh, it was okay. I mean, I didn't really enjoy it. And I was surprised because this guy was like a really good preacher. 
I was like, what, what do you like about it? And he's like, eh, it's all, it all about judgment. And I thought, the last thing our world wants to hear is that God judges sinners. That just doesn't sell. That's not sexy at all. And yet that is precisely what the Holy Spirit wants us to hear. This guy was waiting for the Spirit to start moving in the preaching. Meanwhile, he was listening to the very thing the Spirit wanted him to hear. Didn't like it. American Christians want the good news of Jesus without the judgment of God. But the Spirit wants us to know that the reason Jesus saves sinners is because God judges sinners. And here's the good news of the gospel. If you would but believe in Jesus Christ in his work on the cross... And God judges Jesus instead of you. And we call that good news. Now, I hope when this guy was listening to my buddy, I mean, I hope there was a good news at the end. I hope it wasn't all judgment. I mean, there are people that do that, and that's annoying. But as a Christian, there's never a point in my life when I tire of hearing about judgment because I know when I hear about God's judgment, it makes me rush to Jesus. As a born-again believer, when I hear about the judgment of God, it makes me come back to the other two things, my sin and Christ's righteousness. I like to think of the gospel as a Trinitarian relay. I ran track. Not very well, but I ran. Verse 15, there it is. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that He, the Spirit, will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Father speaks to the Son, the, hand, the Son hands it off to the Spirit, and the Spirit delivers the oracle of God to sinners. From God's mouth to our ears. The gospel comes from the depths of the triune God. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, he says that the Spirit, quote-unquote, searches the depths of God. The gospel literally comes from the inner life of the triune God. How in the world... If God hand-delivered such a precious message, how could we ever treat it as mundane? How could we ever treat it as common? God said, I spoke this. The very word I spoke that created the world into existence is the very same voice that I uttered to save sinners, and I've hand-delivered it to you. This is the most precious thing we have as, as believers, is the word uttered to us from God. Our world wants so badly to feel the Holy Spirit. We are, how many times have you heard someone go, man, I'm just, I want to feel close to God. I don't feel close to Him. And God says that the most intimate experience we can have with Him is the kind in this life that brings us face to face with our own sin, that reminds us of judgment, and that points us to the righteousness of Christ. There is never a time as a Christian that I stop thinking, meditating, and savoring the gospel. And now the gospel is the lens through which I view the glory of God. I recently had dinner with a pastor buddy of mine. We went to Chick-fil-A, big surprise. And we were catching up, just talking about ministry, talking about school. And... The conversation turned really somber because he told me that um, his wife of almost seven years left him about three or four months ago. 
Just started dating men a few weeks later. Won't talk to him. Said she doesn't want anything to do with him. Says she never really wanted to be a pastor's wife. And he doesn't know what to think. And he's absolutely, as you would imagine, devastated. I really didn't know what else to say other than to tell him I loved him. I was here for him. And that I was so sorry. And then I noticed he was still wearing his wedding ring. And I said, still holding on. He said, Abby, that's my bride. This wasn't a joke. And I'm not giving up on her. Just because she hurt me doesn't mean that I still don't love her. And friends, I'm going to tell you, if that is not a picture of Christ's love for the church, I don't know what is. We've chased after idols. We have broken our covenant to the Lord. We have gone after every God there was, whoring ourselves, making a mockery of His love. We've thrown our wedding ring in His face. We've chased after cheap pleasures. And instead of writing us off, instead of leaving us to our sin, God takes His righteousness, clothes us in His royal robes, Tells us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I have forgiven you. I will never forsake you. I am faithful to you. My word is good and I love you. And that's why the Spirit has come. Jesus Christ goes after his filthy bride with the Spirit. He cleans her up, he makes her new. And he assures her and speaks gently to her the promises of God. The Spirit has come to convict us of sin, has convicted us of righteousness, has convicted us of judgment. And when he plants those three things into our hearts, we don't chase a feeling. We chase after Jesus. Christians are people of conviction because the Holy Spirit is a spirit of conviction. If you've lost that conviction today, if you've never had a conviction over sin, I bid you, do not quench the Spirit. Come to Jesus. Come to the cross. Confess your sin because He is mighty to save. Let's go to the Lord this morning in prayer. Father, the bridegroom is faithful and good, and we are such a dirty bride. But Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is beautiful. And he is the real prize, not a feeling. Father, I pray that the Spirit work mightily at Haynes Creek. I pray for a spirit of revival here in Oxford, in Covington, in Atlanta, in America, in the world. And I pray that when the Spirit comes, that people don't chase a feeling or an experience. They chase after the living God in Christ. Convicted of their sin. Mindful of judgment. 
and prizing the righteousness of Jesus. And all these things we ask in your precious son's name. Amen.